Chapter Thirty Seven of Forest Days by G. P. R. James. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter Thirty Seven. The King and Prince Edward stood in the great hall of Nottingham Castle, about to go forth on horseback, but few attendants, comparatively, were around them, and a good deal of unmeaning merriment was upon the King's countenance, as he jested with a horribly contorted humpback, who tricked forth in outrageous finery displayed upon his own deformed person more ribbons feathers and lace than all the rest of the court put together full of malice wit and impudence every tale of scandal every scurvy jest and ribald story of the court were familiar to him and with these he entertained the leisure hours of the king when the monarch was not seeking amusement in the society of his foreign favourites the brow of edward on the contrary was somewhat stern and sad many things had gone contrary to his wishes his father seemed resolved not to perform any of the promises which he had made to the more patriotic nobleman who had supported the royal cause and though edward carried filial respect and deference to an extent which his commanding mind high purposes and great achievements might perhaps have justified him in stopping short of yet he could not but suffer his countenance to show his disappointment and disapprobation the king had descended from his apartments before his horses had been brought into the court and when the door at the farther end of the hall opened he took a few steps towards it followed by the gentlemen who were with him supposing that some of the attendants were coming to announce that all was ready two or three of the royal officers did certainly appear but in the midst was seen the tall and powerful form of hugh de Mothama, with an old knight sir john hardy on one side and a page on the other he advanced with a quick step up the hall and bowing reverently to the king and to the prince he said i have come your grace according to the tenor of the safe conduct i have received with one well known in feats of arms to be my godfather in chivalry and with twenty-five attendants and no more to meet my accuser face to face to declare that his charge is false before god and man and to do battle with him in his behalf my body against his according to the law of arms i do beseech you my lord let me know my accuser tis i answered a voice from behind the king and alured de ashby stepped forward to henry's side tis i alured de ashby who do accuse you hugh de Mothama, of feloniously and maliciously doing to death william de ashby my noble father i put on the decision of heaven and god defend the right hugh of mothma had turned very pale his lip quivered his eye grew anxious and haggard and for a moment or two he remained in deep silence at length however he replied you do me bitter wrong alured de ashby you should know better how so demanded his opponent there is strong and dark suspicion against you which i can disperse in a moment said hugh de Mothama, like clouds scattered by a searching wind but even were their suspicions ten times as strong i say that you of all men should not receive them how pale he turns observed one of the noblemen near loud enough for hugh to hear ay sir i do turn pale replied the young nobleman looking sternly at him i turn pale to find that one against whom i would less willingly draw the sword than any man living is he who by a false and baseless suspicion forces me to do so 
Alured de Ashby, you knew right well when you concealed the name of my accuser that no provocation would induce me to dip my hand in the blood of your sister's brother. I did, replied Alured de Ashby. That was the reason I concealed it. Then should you not have likewise known, demanded Hugh, that the same reason which makes me shrink from injuring her brother would still more withhold my arm, if raised, to spill the blood of her father? You know it, Alured de Ashby. In your heart you know it well. Nothing, so help me God, would have made me do one act to injure him, even if there had been quarrel or dispute between us, when I call heaven to witness, there was none. This is all vain, answered Alured de Ashby, with an unmoved countenance. You, Hugh de Mothama, underlie my challenge. You have accepted it, and I will make it good. There lies my glove. And he cast it down before the king. Sir John Hardy instantly advanced and took it up, saying, "'In the name of the most noble Lord Hugh de Mothama, Baron of Amesbury, I take your gage, Alured, Earl of Ashby, and do promise on his behalf that he will do battle with you in his quarrel when and where the king shall appoint, on horse or foot, with the usual arms and equipments according to the law of arms and the customs of the Court of England.' Hugh de Mothama folded his arms on his chest and bent down his eyes upon the ground and oh how bitter were his feelings at that moment the deed was done the irretrievable engagement was made he must either dip his hand in the kindred blood of her he loved best on earth or he must abandon honour and name and station for ever ay and remain gained with the imputation of a base and horrible act which would equally put a barrier between him and the object of his long-cherished hopes darkness was round him on every side between two black alternatives both equally menacing and fearful he could but go upon the course before him upon the course to which he seemed driven by fate he must meet his accuser in arms he must do battle with him in outrance he must conquer he must slay him he knew well his own powers and his own skill and he doubted not that he could obtain the victory but he also knew that Alured de Ashby was not one to be overthrown with ease, that he was not one whom he should be able to wound, disarm, or save. Once in the field together it was hand against hand, body against body, life against life, till one or the other was no more. Death was the only warder that would part them after the barrier of the lists fell behind him. Nor could he hesitate, nor could he spare his adversary, even though he were willing to risk or lose his own life rather than slay the brother of Lucy de Ashby. For with the accused, ignominy and condemnation followed overthrow, and it was not alone death, but disgrace, that was the meed of the vanquished. No, his fate was sealed, his doom determined. With his own hand was he destined to destroy his own happiness, to tear the sweetest ties of the heart asunder, and to consign himself to grief and disappointment and solitude through life as the last words broke from the lip of sir john hardy the scene around him seemed to disappear from his eyes he felt like one of those who on some bitter sorrow forswear the world and the world's joys for the dark cell of the monastery the living tomb of the heart he felt like one of them when the vow is pronounced when their fate is sealed and when all earth's things are given up for ever 
the whole hall and all that it contained swam indistinctly before him and he bent down his eyes lest their giddy vacancy should betray the intensity of his feelings to those who watched him in the meanwhile henry and the prince conferred for a moment apart and the king turned first to the accuser then to the accused saying my lords we will name monday next for the decision of this wager of battle the place to be the butts by the side of trent below the bridge we will take care that fitting lists be prepared and until the day of combat we charge you both to keep the peace one towards the other to live in tranquil amity as noble knights and gallant gentlemen may do although there be mortal quarrel between them to be decided at a future time thus speaking the king turned to leave the hall but edward paused a moment and took hugh de mothama's hand i grieve hugh he said most deeply that by some sad mistake ay and by some reckless conduct he continued aloud on the part of some gentleman of this court a false and wrongful charge was brought against you in the first instance out of which this second accusation has in some degree arisen of the first charge you have cleared yourself to the satisfaction of the king and every honourable man and of the second i know you will clear yourself also as becomes you in the meantime you are my guest one of the towers on the lower wall is prepared for you and your people and as the day fixed is somewhat early for this trial my armourer is at your command to furnish you with such things as may be needful for your own dwelling is too far distant to send for harness and we know this gallant earl too well he added turning towards alured de ashby not to feel sure that his opponent in the lists must use every caution and defence which the law of arms permits the young earl smiled proudly and followed the king who together with his son and the rest of the court quitted the hall leaving hugh de mothama standing in the midst paying but little attention to anything but his own sad thoughts my lord i have charged to show you your apartments said the attendant approaching with a simpering air the tower is very convenient but the stables are not quite so good and you must put six of your horses in the town this way my lord if you so please hugh de mothama followed in silence and the man led him accordingly across the court to one of the towers which stood as an independent building only connected with the rest of the castle by the walls this sir said the servant entering with him is the hall for your people who will be supplied by the king's purveyors with all they need here are two sleeping chambers behind and here a chamber for this gallant knight now up these steps my lord here is a vacant room for you to range your arms and see that all be well prepared for man and horse here is a pinion for your hood and chapeau de fur here are stays for your lances and nowhere will you find better wood than in nottingham a hook for your shield and a block for the hauberk and other harness this way is the ante-room my lord with truckle beds for a yeoman and a page that door leads direct through the wall to the apartments of the prince and this to your bedroom hugh gave him some money and saying largesse my lord largesse the man withdrew promising to send in the young nobleman's followers and to show them where to stable their horses take heart my lord take heart said sir john hardy after the royal attendant was gone this is a bitter change of adversaries it is true but now tis done it cannot be helped and you must do your devoir against this earl who will bring his fate upon his own head 
i thought him two hundred miles away replied hugh but as you say i must do my devoir see to all things necessary hardy for i have no heart to think of anything but one a good plain harness is all i want the horse that brought me hither will do as well as another nay my lord you must not be rash answered the old knight lest some misfortune happen the worst misfortune that life has in store for me is sure to befall replied hugh de mothama it is to slay the brother of lucy de ashby hardy for he fights with a desperate man one to whom all things on earth are indifferent who must live though life be hateful to him who cannot die as he would fain do lest ignominy should cleave unto his name i will trust all to you hardy i will trust all to you but i cannot think or talk of anything at present so i betake me to my chamber if any one should come tell them i am busy busy enough indeed with dark and bitter fancies thus saying he retreated to the bedroom which had been assigned to him and casting himself down on a settle he spread his arms upon the table and buried his eyes in them it were vain to attempt by any words of ours to depict the state of hugh de mothama's heart as he sat there given up entirely to sad memories and gloomy expectations oh how his thoughts warred with one another how the idea of flying from the task he had undertaken was met by the repugnance of an honourable spirit to disgrace and shame how the image of lucy de ashby's brother dying beneath his blows rose up before his sight followed by the cold averted look with which she would meet him ever after the chilling tone of her voice the shrinking horror of her demeanour when she should see the destroyer of her nearest kinsman then came the thought of what if he were to avoid the combat what would be the consequences then would he not be considered recreant and coward the time allowed was so short too but three brief days that there was no hope of gaining proof of his own innocence and of the guilt of another before the period appointed a week a fortnight often more was allotted for the preparation but in this instance the time had been curtailed as there were evil tidings from the isle of axholm which were likely to call prince edward speedily from nottingham he could send indeed to the forest he could even make inquiries in person if he liked for his safe conduct specified that he was free to come and go as he thought fit but he had been especially warned that the proofs against richard de ashby could not be produced for at least a week and his own eagerness to meet the charge had led him to the court much sooner than the judgment of his forest friends warranted thus on every side he seemed shut in by difficulties and naught was left him but to defend his innocence to the utter extinction of all happiness for life would she could see me he thought would that she could see the agony which distracts my heart at the very thought of raising my hand against her brother however that may be he continued that villain shall not escape although i cannot dare him to the field now that i underlie the challenge of another yet i will publicly accuse him before i enter the lists and either by my lance or the hand of the executioner he shall die the death he has deserved he raised his head quickly and fiercely as he thus thought the door opposite to him was slowly opening when he did so and the face of prince edward appeared in the aperture 
I knocked, said the prince, but you did not answer. Forgive me, my gracious lord, replied Hugh, rising, but my thoughts have been so sadly busy that it would seem they closed the doors of the ear lest they should be interrupted. I heard no one approach, but God knows your presence is the only thing that could give me comfort. This is a sad business indeed, said Edward, seating himself. Come, sit, Mothima, and tell me how all this has happened. Good my lord, I know not, replied Hugh. You must have more information than I have, for here in this neighbourhood has the plot been concerted. Here in your father's court, where they contrived to have me doomed to death some time since, untried, unheard, undefended, here have they, when frustrated in that, devised a new scheme for my destruction. Nay, said Edward, it was not that I meant. I asked how it is you propose this rash appeal to arms, when I expected that you would demand fair trial and judgment according to law. I have been deceived, my lord, replied Hugh, terribly deceived. Even Lucy herself supposed that Richard de Ashby was my accuser, and I never knew that Alured had returned, otherwise well aware of his quick and fiery spirit. I should have judged that he would make the quarrel his own, whether he believed the charge or not. That Richard is the real accuser, there can be no doubt, said the prince. His cousin is but a scream for his malice. But yet you were rash, Mothima, and I know not now what can be done to help you. Who is there that can prove where you were and how employed upon the day that this dark deed was done? Outlaws and banished men, none else, my lord, replied Hugh de Mothima, witnesses whose testimony cannot be given or received. But I will beseech you to let me know in what arises the suspicion that I had any share in this. I do not believe that there is a single act in all my life which would bring upon me even the doubt of such a crime. The scheme has been well arranged, answered Edward. The proofs are plausible and various, but you shall hear the whole and he proceeded to tell him all that the reader already knows concerning the accusation brought against him. For a moment Hugh remained silent, confounded and surprised, but gradually his own clear mind, though for an instant bewildered by the case made out against him, seized on the cue of the dark labyrinth with which they had surrounded him. "'Well arranged indeed, my lord,' he replied, "'but too complicated even for its own purpose.' "'Villainy can never arrive at the simplicity of truth. "'Was there no one, sir, who, even out of such grounds as these, "'could find matter to defend me?' "'Yes,' answered Edward, "'there was, and she was one you love. "'She stood forward to do you right. "'She swept away half of these suspicions "'from the minds even of your enemies. "'She showed that one half of the tale was false, "'the other more than doubtful. "'Dear, dear girl,' cried Hugh de Mothima, and, gazing earnestly in Edward's face, he asked, "'And shall my hands spill her brother's blood?' "'Nay, more,' continued the prince, without replying to what the young lord said. "'She declared her belief that the real murderer had brought suspicion upon you to screen himself.' "'The scheme, my lord, is deeper still,' answered Hugh de Mothma. "'The scheme is deeper still, or I am very blind. "'Did this dear lady point at any one whom she believed the culprit?' "'She would not say,' replied Edward. "'She would not even hint before the whole court "'who was the object of her suspicions. "'But since, in private, the princess has drawn from her "'the secret of her doubts, we entertain the same. "'Have you, too, any cause to fix upon the murderer?' 
cause my lord cried hugh i know him as i know myself i have no doubts mine are not suspicions with me tis certainty and full assurance were it not a fine and well-digested scheme my lord supposing that between you and high fortune and the hand of the loveliest lady in the land there stood a father and a brother and a lover to slay the old man secretly and instigate his son to charge the daughter's promised husband with the deed to make them meet in arms in the good hope that the lover's well-known lance would remove from your path the sole remaining obstacle by drowning out in her brother's blood the last hope of his marriage with the lady that father brother lover would be all disposed of the lands and lordship yours and the lady almost at your mercy likewise do you understand me my lord well answered the prince but who is the man richard de ashby my lord and if the day named for this sad combat had not been so soon i was promised evidence within a week which would have proved upon the traitor's head his cunning villainy edward mused and turned in his mind the possibility of postponing the event but though it may seem strange to the reader that such a state of things should ever have existed a judicial combat of that day was a matter with which even so great a high-minded a prince as edward i dared not meddle as he would we know how far such interference at an after period contributed to lose his crown to richard the second and edward saw no possibility of changing the day or even hour appointed for the trial by battle unless some accidental circumstance were to occur which might afford a substantial motive for the alteration otherwise he knew that it would have the whole chivalry of europe crying out upon the deed and that was a voice which even he durst not resist tis unfortunate indeed he said most unfortunate but my father having fixed it early and at my request too it cannot be changed but do you feel sure quite sure that within one week you could bring forward proofs to exculpate yourself and to show the guilt of this wretched man and surely as i live replied hugh de mothema i have the word of one who never failed me yet of one who speaks not lightly my good lord and who is he demanded edward a faint smile came upon hugh de mothema's countenance he is one of the king's outlaws he answered but yet his word may be depended upon the prince mused for a moment or two without reply and then rejoined it is probable these forest outlaws in our neighbourhood may know something of the matter think you they had a share in it what in the murder cried hugh de mothema oh no my lord would to god you had as honest men in nottingham castle as under the boughs of sherwood you are bitter hugh replied the prince and then added i fear the day cannot be changed and all that remains to be done is to send to these friends of yours as speedily as may be bidding them give you without delay whatever proofs may be in their hands tis probable that other things may arise to strengthen our conviction when you see what they can furnish us with our course will soon be decided if there be anything like fair evidence that richard to ashby has done this deed i will stop the combat and proclaim his guilt but unless i am sure i must not pretend to do so lest i bring upon myself the charge of base ingratitude he it was you who furnished me with the swift horse whereupon i fled from hereford 
and though I own that I would have chosen any other man in all England to aid in my deliverance rather than him, yet I must not show myself thankless. And tis but yesterday that I moved my father to give him the lands of Cottington as his reward. The very act, my lord, replied Hugh, which merits your gratitude, was one of treachery to the party which he pretended to serve. For that I will not blame him, however, but he is a dark and deceitful man, and the proofs can be made clear, I do not doubt. I will send instantly, as you direct. All that I gain in way of proof I will give into your hand, my lord, and let you rule and direct my conduct. It is so terrible a choice which lies before me that my brain seems bewildered when I think of it. "'It is sad, indeed,' replied Edward. "'I have put it into my heart, Mothama, how I should act, were I placed as you are, and I know how painful will be the decision. Whatever happens in the lists, whoever lives, whoever dies, you must be the loser. If you are vanquished, if by a hesitating heart or unwilling hand you give the victory to your adversary, you lose not only renown but honour and esteem with all men.' You lose not only life but reputation. If you conquer, if you win honour and maintain your innocence, your love and happiness is gone for ever. Tis a hard fate, Mothama, and whatever can be done to avert it shall be done by me. But I must leave you now. You will, of course, be present at the king's supper. Bear, I beseech you, a calm and steady countenance that your enemies may not triumph. Your accuser is gone back to Lindwell and Edward's friend must not seem cast down. Thus saying, he rose to quit the chamber, but before he went, he bent his head, adding in a lower voice, Doubtless you know your lady-love is here, aye, here in Nottingham Castle, with the Princess Eleanor. Of course, in these days of mourning, she mingles not with the court, but if it be possible, I will contrive that you shall see her. Methinks the laws of chivalry require it should be so. "'Oh, yes!' exclaimed Hugh, clasping his hands. "'Wherever she were, I would demand to see her, "'and no one bearing knightly sword and spur "'would venture to refuse me. "'Have I not to tell her how my heart is wrung? "'Have I not to show her that this is no deed of mine? "'Have I not to prove to her that I am but a passive instrument "'in the hands of fate, "'that the death which he calls upon his head "'is her brother's own seeking?' and that I am no more answerable to it than the lance that strikes him? Oh, yes, my lord, I must see her. You shall, you shall, replied Edward, but it must not be to-night. Farewell for the present. And thus saying, he quitted the room. End of chapter 37